Hey, uh, it's interesting to me. I've noticed that there are numbers that are so much a part of our lives as individuals or as for us as a culture that you can see them and know what they are, and you really don't need any explanation whatsoever uh, on them. And maybe you don't get it right off the bat, but within a moment, I'm going to bet really quickly you would get them. So I'm going to throw some numbers up on the screen, and you call out what you think it is, okay? Can you do that? That is why I asked that question. Can you do that? All right, there we go. You ready? Here's the first one. Do you know what that is? Normal. I I think someone said normal temperature, right? Did some body temperature. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, There were some other things said that I thought, what are you talking about? So, okay, 98.6. Check this number out. What about that one? Marathon. How many of us have run a marathon? Yeah, me either. Okay. Um, How about this number? That's our area code. How about this? That's Jenny's number. <laughs> Got to make her mine. Uh, I always, okay, so what about this number? Pi. Pi, very good. Okay, so now since we're in church, I thought I'd throw out some Bible numbers. You ready? Here's the first one. Right, what is this? It's the mark of the beast. So if you've never read Revelation, when you get to Revelation at the very last book of the New Testament, then you read about the beast, and this mark is 666. You'll know the number. That's how you identify. Interestingly, this was also the maximum seating in this room. When the architects sat down with us, they said the maximum seating in this room is 666. And I said, no, it's not. Uh, I said, you can go up or you can go down, but we're not staying there. So the maximum, in case you're ever asked, the maximum seating in our room is 665. Uh, What about this number? Yep. All right. How about this number? It is Acts 242, but maybe not as familiar as all the other numbers. Um, And it's an important number to us. So that may have thrown you off just a little bit. So I want to show you why this number is so important to us. So if you have your Bible uh, or your smart device, go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 42, or we're going to be looking at verse 42. But I want you to check these verses out so you can see why this is so important to us. You ready? They devoted themselves... Uh, to the apostles' teaching. By the way, if you go on the Bible app, if you go to the events tab, these verses will be there for you. They're just waiting for you each week. All right. So uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. And they sold some. You know, some of them sold property, and some of them sold possessions, and they gave to anyone if there was a need. They gave them that money. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So whatever the early church is doing, whatever's going on early on in the book of Acts, people were responding, had such an effect on the culture that there were people who were giving their lives to Jesus on a daily basis, which by the way, is why we value what they did made such a huge difference in their culture. 
we believe it still makes a difference in our culture as well. So what we're going to do is over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at this verse. We're just going to take it apart week by week and see what they did and how they did it and how do we do it and why it's important to us. So beginning in verse 14, if you have your Bible open, your smart device, look at the whole chapter of Acts chapter 2 because I want you to see what's going on, kind of a big picture way. Peter is preaching a sermon Uh, And the people who were listening, uh, he was talking about how the people who were listening crucified Jesus. Okay. And so uh, check this out. Uh, He said to them, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Stop for just a moment. He means literally these folks were literally there. They were the ones screaming for Jesus to be crucified. So they know exactly what he's talking about. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And that's why the people responded in the very next verse. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. I mean, it, it crushed them. And they said to Peter and the other apostles who were there, Oh, no. What what do we need to do? And Peter said to them in verse 38, what you need to do is repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this promise is not just for you and your children, but it's for all who are far off. By the way, who is all who are far off? Us. 2000, right? 2000 years later, all who are far off, this promise is for us too, for all whom the Lord, our God will call. And the response, by the way, the response was that 3000 people were baptized and added to their number that day. That's incredible. That is ridiculous. The church, the early church was characterized by certain actions. Matter of fact, uh, we read that they devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching and to fellowship, being together, community, to the breaking of bread, that's communion, and to prayer. See, Acts is a history book. If you're not familiar with it, fifth book of the New Testament, and it's basically a history book of what was going on in the early church, kind of a big picture, I think, of what God intended for the church to be throughout the generations. And as you read through that, as you get through the first few chapters, what you find out is that everyone is amazed because of these miracles that the apostles are doing. The the book of Acts records these signs and wonders, people being miraculously healed. Sometimes when someone spoke, they were healed. Or sometimes when someone touched them, they were healed. There were times when Peter would be walking down the street and the sun would cast his shadow down. And if there was someone who was ill, as he walked past, his shadow would hit them. And they would be healed miraculously uh, by that. But but the story of Acts also includes stories like Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. And some of you know this story. It's one of those weirdo stories in the New Testament because Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit and they're struck dead immediately. I mean, can you imagine your neighbor asking you this afternoon after you go home and have lunch and take your nap and then you're outside again and your neighbor says, so how was church this morning? And you say, oh man, it was great. We got to sing some great songs. We watched this video of this little girl telling us about why she was baptized. It was great, great preaching. We had three people baptized. We had 12 people healed and three people dropped dead right there in the service. It was awesome, right? I mean, can you imagine talking about that? If you ask anyone uh, what the early church devoted themselves to, it would, all of that stuff's going on, but it would boil down to four qualities that I think we need to be known for here at MCC as well. And where are they found? 242, right? That's why that number is important. I'm sorry. Where is it found? 
Yeah. Yep. Sorry, Chad, man. I'm throwing him way off now. Uh, so in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves, just to remind us, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The apostles' teaching. Some versions, uh, maybe yours says, the apostles' doctrine. So the question is, what were they teaching? L- let me ask it another way. If you had just been with Jesus for three years of your life, day in, day out, you saw him privately, you saw him publicly, what would you be teaching? The Apostle John uh, says this in, in 1 John 1, 3, end of the New Testament. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. And then just two verses later, he says, this is the message that we heard from him. So we're talking about things that we saw. We're talking about things that he said to us. I mean, what, isn't that what you would be teaching about Jesus? Can you, can you imagine hearing these guys teaching and preaching? Because, I mean, have you ever heard anyone who has been, uh, there's a story they're telling that you're going, there's no way in the world that happened, but they were there. And so, I mean, have you ever heard someone do that to you today? You're listening to a story and you're going, there's no way that I was there. I saw the whole thing. Can you imagine John telling you about Jesus raising that little girl from the dead? Dead. She was really dead and deader than a doorknob. She didn't have enough breath in her to blow out a candle. Oh, I bet that broke Jesus' heart. Did he say a few appropriate words? You bet he did. He tore up that whole funeral, ruined the whole thing by raising her back from the dead. He has power over death. Or Matthew, one tax collector, talking about Zacchaeus, another tax collector. Oh, Zacchaeus, I've heard of that guy. Did Jesus make fun of him? No, he treated him like he was a friend, right? Let me tell you what Jesus tells us and shows us about how to treat our enemies or people we don't get along with. Can you imagine Peter talking about walking on the water? And he gets to the part, he climbs out of the boat, and the other, yeah, and then he gets to the part where he starts to sink, and some southern lady goes, oh, bless your heart, honey. I mean, can you imagine hearing him talk about that? Oh, bless your heart. Did you almost drown? And Peter says, I would have. Let me tell you about Jesus and faith in him. Or Bartholomew talking about legion. Legion, I've heard of that guy. Isn't that the guy that lived in the cemetery? Yeah. Wasn't he the one full of demons? Oh my goodness, was he really crazy? Dude, if he was, had, if he was any more nuts, planters would have put him in a can, right? Uh, or, or, so he, he scared people to death. Did Jesus run away from him? No, Jesus ran to him. Let me tell you about who I know Jesus is. I mean, can you imagine hearing these stories, all of these stories and all of these teachings recorded and all of these things that they know. But what I think is interesting is John tells us that Jesus did many other things as well. This is the end of his gospel. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for the books that would be written. There are things we don't even know that he did. There are things that aren't written down that Jesus said. We don't even know what they are. I think that's interesting. I mean, what does it make you wonder what kind of things he said that we don't know? Here's what, here's what else we know. John wrote this. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Look what he says next. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. This is why the apostles' doctrine is so important to us. This is why the Bible is so important to us. Because it, it, it's because of that that we have faith. So on your notes, if you're filling in blanks, here we go. This is why we devote ourselves to the scriptures, why uh, the apostles' doctrine, to the Bible, so that I might believe. We devote ourselves to the Bible so that I might believe. Verse 31 is what he says, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So the question becomes, what makes this so believable? I mean, lots of books say lots of things about lots of people. What makes this one 
so believable. And I want to tell you that, listen, there, there are five qualities uh, you, that make the Bible unique. I just want to make, I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to rattle them off. You see they're in your notes. I want to make sure you get these. Here's the first one. It's unique in its composition. There is no other book like the Bible in its composition. So on your notes as well, is, is it, on your notes, is there a math equation? There is. Okay. And I know that some of you, you saw a math equation and you got all tingly. And others of you are going, seriously, school just started. What's going on? So here, let's write this down, though, because this is important. 1,500 plus 40 plus 3 plus 3 equals unity. The Bible was written over a 1,500-year span by approximately 40 different authors from all walks of life. Kings, poets, shepherds, a doctor, a tax collector, a fisherman, a military man, a political advisor, a rabbi, all of them guided by the Holy Spirit. It was written on three different continents. It was written from three different languages. Actually, this isn't even a book. When we talk about this as if it's one book, this is actually 66 books. It's a library. And yet it's incredible because there's unmistakable thread of unity that runs through all of its pages. There's simp- there is no other book in the world like the Bible. So think about your favorite book, whatever it is. Just kind of imagine that your favorite book, whatever it is, you know, Tom Clancy or, or what, I don't know what it is for you. Uh, whatever it is, imagine it has 66 chapters. And imagine that those chapters are written by different authors in different centuries, in different countries, in different languages, And then when those 66 chapters are put together, they miraculously tell one unified story. What's the chance that would happen? Almost none. Almost. But that's exactly what the Bible is. That's what you find when you read the Bible. All right, so here's the second thing I want to make sure you catch. It's unique in its circulation. Without question, the most uh, published book in the world, in the history of the world, and around the world. So J.K. Rowling. Rowling? Rowling. How do you say her name? Well, I, we say it all kinds of ways, I guess. All right. Uh, so one of the wealthiest women in the United Kingdom, estimated value of oh, net worth of a billion dollars, a billion dollars. How many of you have read the Harry Potter series? Everybody's read those? Okay. Uh, I think it includes the Fantastic Beasts, the, late, the last one, and where to find them. Two more books I read are coming out this fall uh, from her. The Harry Potter series began in 1997, has sold more than 400 million copies in 68 languages worldwide. True confession, I didn't read them. My kids did, but I didn't. I went and saw the movies. Uh, uh, we also went to Harry Potter World. So you tell your kids when you get home that the pastor went to Harry Potter World and they didn't, so... There we go. Uh, I've actually been in Hogwarts. So 400 million copies in 60 languages, which is impressive. Wow, is that impressive in comparison. 50 Bibles are sold every minute. And in 2014, the United Bible Society distributed 428.2 million copies, either complete volumes or portions of Scripture. Every year, more copies of the Bible are spread around the world than the total accumulated sum of all the books that have ever been published uh, in the Potter series. Most Americans have a Bible. In fact, and this may blow you away, I kind of hope that it does, 60% of atheists and agnostics living in America own a Bible. I wonder if theirs is as hard to find as ours. Um, Okay, Uh, so try to think of any other book that has been at the top of the bestseller list Every year since the invention of the printing press, nothing is even close to the Bible. 
Uh, it's also unique in its translation. It is the single most translated book in the world. It's already been translated into over 1,200 different languages. And even today, I got an email from some friends uh, who are Bible translators. They just finished another translation this week. They're going to continue until they've translated it into every language around the world. Also unique in its durability. In AD 303, the emperor Diocletian was persecuting the church, and he thought the way to destroy Christianity was to destroy the Bible. So he had his soldiers go door to door. They gathered all of the Bibles and burned them all. That same year, he had a coin minted, and he had it, the inscription on it that said, the Christian religion is destroyed, and the worship of the gods is restored. He thought he'd done away with Christianity because he destroyed all the scriptures. He just didn't get all of them. He thought he did, but he didn't. And within 10 years, Constantine came on the scene. He embraced Christianity. And one of the acts, one of his acts as emperor was to commission the making of 50 copies of the Bible, handwritten copies, 50 of them, at the government's expense. Listen, how many books have been attacked the way the Bible has been attacked, banned, burned, ridiculed? criticized. Countless rulers have tried to eradicate it. Even today, celebrities try to marginalize it by criticizing it. And yet the scripture lives on. After all the attacks, the Bible is still here, still changing the lives of anybody who will read it and follow it. And it always will until Jesus comes back. Here's the last one. It's unique in its effect. People read all kinds of books. And when you're, when I was on vacation, I read nine books. And when I finished them, guess what I did? put it down, and I picked up another one. Is that what you do when you finish a book? You finish it, you put it down, and you pick up another one. It's not what we do with the Bible, is it? If you've ever read from one cover to the other cover, you get done with it, what do you do? You pick it up, and you start looking at something else that we never seem to finish. Or if we do, we don't just put it away. We just start reading it over again, and then we start and we go over portions of it, and we read it again and again, and every time we read it, there's something different. That Have you noticed that? Every time you read it, something, even if you've read it, I've read this thing a hundred times, this particular story a hundred times, and something different jumps out. When I read it this time, because it has this way of the Bible has this way of connecting with us at different times of our lives in different ways, in different situations, depending on what we're going through. I think that's why John said, I think that's what he meant when he wrote you, it, that you read so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. But that's not all he said. That's not all he said. He also said, by believing, you may have life in his name. So here's the second thing. It's in your notes. I'll devote myself to the Bible so I might have life. It's not, listen, it's not just about believing. It's bigger than that. That's big, but it's bigger than that. Uh, I like this quote. It's on your notes. Jesus isn't just the subject of our study. He's the object of our affection. So in John chapter 1, the apostle writes this, the word was the source of of, of what? Life. And this life brought light to the people. Look at John 10.10. He says, I have come in order that you may have what? Life. And not just life, not just life, but life to the fullest. Have life. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. As a matter of fact, there's no way you're even going to get to God unless you go through me. You see, the Bible isn't merely a story. It's actually an appeal. God, God is speaking to you. 
He's calling out to you from his word. When Paul would write to his friend Timothy, he would say that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for everything, all right? So it's that the Bible does something because it is God-breathed. Isn't that an interesting phrase, God-breathed? It also shows up in Genesis chapter 2. When God is making the man, he makes Adam, and God did what? God breathed. It's the same idea. Listen, the Bible doesn't just give information. The Bible actually breathes life into who you are. There are two key verses in the Bible. They're actually key to the whole thing. Everything that happens before these two verses point right at these two verses. Everything that happens after these verses are because of them. So everything ahead of them points to them. Everything after them is because of them. Those two verses are John three sixteen and 17. Some of you know these verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen, the story of the Bible, and some of your friends, some of you maybe have never heard this, some of your friends believe exactly the opposite of this. The story of the Bible is not about God waiting for you to do something wrong so he can send you to hell because, man, that's what he loves doing. That is not what the story of the Bible is. The story of the Bible is about God buying you back in order to win you back into his love. And when you get that, when you understand those verses and you read that and you go, this is how much God loves me. He loved me enough to send his son because I had this sin debt that I couldn't pay. And he sent his son to pay that debt on my behalf. You want to respond. And the first response that we have when we figure that out is we give our lives to him. And the Bible says we make that commitment to him in the waters of baptism. And some of you have already done that. And others of you have not yet. And some of you, you just haven't gotten to the point where you've realized it. But once you realize that's what's going on. This morning, uh, Dagan Vitale came. And was baptized during the first hour. And uh, it's just something to watch somebody give their life to Jesus. It just never gets old. (laughs) It's never get tired of it. But when you get that, you want to respond. And the first response is always, the initial response is always to give your life to him. But when we look at this verse, when we look at John 3.16, every week we get to respond to it as well. To remember and to recommit uh, our faith. Uh, can you throw that up here, John three sixteen? We get to recommit ourselves to this verse because it reminds us. It reminds us, right? We do this through our communion. So we come to this time in our service every week. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but our communion time has moved a little bit over the last couple of weeks. And our goal in worship is always to make communion as meaningful as we possibly can because it's so important to us. And every week we stop and we remember the cross and what we've talked about that morning about how we can live that out in our lives. So as we come to a time of communion, really the emblems remind us of this verse. The body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Those things you'll hold in your hand in just a moment remind you. This reminds me of the body of Jesus. This reminds me of the blood of Jesus that was broken and shed for me on the cross to pay a sin debt that I had but I could not pay. That's part of what we do. The other part of what we do is we say, because I believe this, I will commit myself to living like I believe this. I want to live out what we've been talking about today because I believe that. And so as we come to this time of communion now, 
that's, that's what this is for. If you believe this and you choose to live your life as if you do, that's what this moment reminds us of. So let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you for this moment where we, we get to say again, we've made a commitment to you in our baptism. And God, now we, it's like we're re-upping. Every week, we, we're reminded of the truth that your son came to give his life for ours, and we get to say thank you. We get to remember that, that our lives are, are anchored to that moment, that we, that we have chained ourselves uh, to who Jesus is, and that he is our Savior. And not only did he save us, but he is also the boss of our lives. He gets to call the shots and who we become, and we just want to become more like him. And so, God, for this moment where we, get to, we just get to remember that, And then to say to you also, we believe your word. Today specifically, we believe what your word says, and we want to live our lives according to it. God, this moment we give to you as we make our commitment back. We re-up one more week and say, this week, regardless of what happened last week, this week we move forward with you. God, we pray this will bless your name, and we pray this in the precious, holy, powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.